Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Often as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Khan. Good evening. Well, I'm back from international duty that never actually happened. Um, I've mostly been on the treatment table, to be honest. Um, as some of our listeners will know, um, I actually experienced kidney failure um, the night after we recorded our last podcast. I had kidney stones which blocked my right kidney, um, and it was not pleasant. I do not recommend um, kidney stones. Minus five stars. It's probably the equivalent of watching one of those 4-0 or 3-0 defeats at Old Trafford in the, the mid noughties calm, to be honest. Um, There's been a few recently, mate, to be fair, but the other way round. <laughs> quite, quite. But yeah, um, no, it sounds sounds rough, mate. Yeah, not not nice. Um, but speaking of, of, of not nice for, for, for Evertonians, that is, um, I just wanted to, to talk about them in a bit more detail. Uh, and it's easy for me to sit here and crow, but I'm not going to do that because I'm not that kind of person. Um, like at the end of the game yesterday, um, the, the Evertonians were revolting and they weren't very pleased about the result either. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Rafa to me looked like, um, like almost ill. He looked like an old man. I think his tactics are kind of looking a bit outdated. I, I don't think being organized is enough anymore to be competitive. Um, like, where, where do Everton go from here? Because they have a terrible run of games, and I, I don't see where the next win comes from. They've got a decent enough cushion over the bottom three at the moment, but that that could change very quickly. Not that I think that the the bottom four are, are capable of going on on a super run of four or five wins, which would propel them up the table. You know, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying that Everton are going to go down because I don't think they will. But where do they go from here? And where does Rafa go from here? Because it, the the Evertonians didn't want him as manager, and unfortunately, uh, they've, they've been proven right because it, it's just not working, and I don't think it will work at, at this point. I think it'll be gone for Christmas for my money. But like, what what did he do? Everton are, are just windmilling. So I think there's two things really, Dan. I think there's the status of Everton and where they are as a club, and we've touched on that before and talked about the fact that they're in a kind of a strange position. Um, and then there's the status of Rafa Benitez, and I think the two are slightly separate, but they're also obviously linked, and at the moment they're creating a, a perfect storm that's resulting in some some pretty poor performances and, and some dreadful results, and last night didn't sound like Liverpool were flattered at all um, by a 4-1 scoreline, if anything, maybe the other way around. Um, so I think dealing with Everton first as a football club, they are rudderless. They are leaderless. Uh, there is no direction. Um, since the owner uh, took ownership, they've spent over £500 million. They've spent over £500 million. And look at that squad. Tell me where £500 million has gone, because it's impossible to see when you look at the players in the squad. It just makes no sense at all. I think um, Tawson might cost a bit to feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just seriously, you you look at the players that they've got, and you wonder where five hundred million's gone because it's um, I mean, they've you know, been wasted. On. Like I, f- I forgot yeah. he even existed. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I, I you know, the the leadership from board levels been pathetic. Uh, 
the owner I have always suspected is a front for the real owner, which is Alicia Rusmanov. Um, I believe he's uh, actually the person who put up the money. Um, and he's got his puppy too. He had for a brief while trying to get himself into Arsenal uh, involved as, as, as kind of the front man. Um, at the time that he invested in Everton, he couldn't invest in Everton by Premier League rules with his own money because he was still a, a shareholder of Arsenal. He no longer is. Um, but I'm convinced he's behind this uh, at, at the very head of affairs. Um, there was some some interesting uh, papers that, that found themselves into the hands of Panorama that, that suggested as much as well a couple of years ago. Um, but the fact that he's kind of, if he is involved, that he's kind of the owner, but not the owner. And there's this strange disconnect where, you know, the the actual owner or the, you know, the recorded owner sits in the stand. He wasn't there last night from what I believe. You've still got Bill Kenwright there, who's the chairman, but doesn't really seem to have any executive power anymore to make decisions. You've got a, a director of football who has supposedly been um, in charge of the recruitment, well, I mean, how is he still in a job, uh, Marcel Brands? How is he still in a job? Because the recruitment has been dreadful. We've just talked about it. It's a year after year of, of failed recruitment. Um, you know, he, he's been there, I think, three seasons now. And in that three seasons, what have Everton done in terms of building the squad that, that made sense? Um, and then, obviously they get themselves into a position where they've appointed Rafa. But let's go back from Rafa, because even the appointment of Claudio Ranieri, and I'm a big Claudio Ranieri fan. I think he's a very, very good football manager. He always has been. He's a decent guy. He gets players to play for him. He knows what he's doing. He's competent. But appointing uh, Ancelotti, to me, was a kind of safe move, not a move of a club that had really got a clear ambition and direction of where it was heading. Okay, they couldn't do anything about the fact Real Madrid come along. Real Madrid or Everton, that's not going to take you long to decide. Um, so they didn't expect to be in a position of, of, of appointing, I think, a fifth manager in five years. But, you know, it's not going well. Uh, the decision on Rafa was a controversial one in the first place. And I just think from the top of the football club, there's no direction. There's no leadership. The squad's a jumbled mess. There's no coherent plan to what they're trying to do. And you say you don't think they'll get relegated, Dan. I don't think they'll get relegated either. But I wouldn't put a great deal of money on that. I, I think they are in a bit of a mess. And if the clubs at the bottom can suddenly get hot, um, you know, Norwich have started to pick some results up. Uh, Burnley, OK, it, it's not quite happened. They've got a game in hand because of the postponement at the weekend for snow. Um, you know, we know the, the situation at Newcastle, but they're going to spend some money in January. It, it's not inconceivable if Newcastle get four or five in that they could put a run together in the second half of the season. I know they've got a lot of ground to make up. Everton can't afford to just keep sliding like this. Um, eventually, they have to stop the rot. I think then you go to, OK, so is Rafa the right person to do that? And what I would say is Rafa's been through this before. He had seasons at Newcastle where they had really slow starts, didn't win games. And then he'd pick up, he'd pick up, he'd pick up. And, 
And as kind of other teams started to fall by the wayside, as their season started to meander and go nowhere, Newcastle will pick up momentum and end up finishing the mid-table with probably squads that talent-wise, player for player, aren't as good as this Everton squad. Maybe more coherent squads, more balanced squads, but player for player, talent level, probably not as, not as talented as this Everton squad. So I think Rafa might be the man, actually, to get you out of this position you've got yourselves into. The question, if you're an Everton uh, fan or an Everton director even more prominently, um, is are you accepting that you're in that position? Because if you're not, you might panic now and get rid of Rafa and bring somebody else in. But actually, if you accept that you might be in a relegation battle, you should keep Rafa Benitez. Uh, and you should let him dig his way out of this um, and then move on in the summer if that's what you want to do. But again, I say move on in the summer. I don't think he's the right fit. I don't think he's the right man long term. I think what you've said is right, Dan, that his style of football feels outdated now. It feels like football from 15 years ago. It happens to everyone. We've had the conversation about Mourinho. We all recognise it happened with Arsene Wenger. It, it happens when you kind of stay around for as long as, as Rafa has. Um, very stubborn man, you know, believes in what he believes in, isn't going to change for anybody. Well, you know, it, it, it is starting to look like football from a, a bygone age. Too defensive not enough uh, willingness to kind of take the football in tight spaces and, and play players who are comfortable taking the football in tight spaces. But then Rafa's been given their money. You know, the 500 million they spent, Rafa spent 1.7 million of it. Um, the players he's brought in, we talked at the start of the season, Damari Gray's done all right and, and Andros Townsend has done all right. Now, the performances both have kind of dipped a little bit in the last few weeks, but what 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 do you want him to do? He, he didn't have the opportunity to bring anyone else in. Uh, and he has been missing players. Calvert-Lewin's been out. Um, Yeri Mina's been out. That's your centre-forward and, and arguably your, your best, although I'm not convinced Mina's great, your best centre-half. That hurts any team. Um, I just don't know what, how I see a kind of way out of this for Everton at the moment. Um, the financial fair play's caught up with them. That's why they're not able to spend any more money. I don't think there's going to be any more money to spend in January. They have to dig themselves out of the mess they've got in this season. And then they have to have a proper clearing of the decks in the summer. And that means getting five, six, seven, eight of these players off the wage bill to give themselves some space to do something. And if that's with a different manager, then so be it. But at the moment, there's no magic formula. You're not going to click your fingers, replace Rafa Benitez with somebody else and suddenly see Everton shoot up the league. They're where they are for a reason. Um, the squad's a jumbled mess. Yes, they've got some injuries. There's no clear direction. There's no clear strategy. And the football's outdated. And, and it is what it is. They had a good start to the season. But since that point, it's been a shambles week after week. Yeah, I think that's quite a, a comprehensive summary, to be fair, Paul. I have to say, all this talk of uh, chaos and rudderless in the boardroom and outdated methods in the dugout has got me coming out in heart palpitations here and having uh, <laughs> Vietnam flashbacks. But uh, Yeah, I yeah. feel like we've had, we, it's almost Everton of the latest Arsenal or Manchester yeah. United that we... That we yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spent, spent half a billion and got loads of rubbish on the pitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clueless in the boardroom, outdated, uh, you know, old managers... 
and it's it's a familiar it's like the one of the themes of this podcast is every every six months or every season there's a another club that seems to fall into that category isn't there but just talking about i, I yeah i think the problems uh go way beyond you know rafa um i i think yeah regardless of perhaps his his sort of limitations around his his methods becoming a bit outdated and stuff i think it, it's not of this isn't a mess of his doing by any means he's doing the best with with what he can and what what he's got to deal with there is 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 pretty average you know you look at that squad of players and barring two or three who you know you think yeah okay they're decent beyond that there's too many players in there who just feel like on their day um you know the likes of Townsend and Richarlson there's too many players who they have a decent couple of games and then they just seem to switch off um and I think that's part of the problem that they've maybe it's because of the type of club Everton are maybe they're the sorts of players they can attract unfortunately in the current climate might be part of it but um yeah, I think you're right. The people in charge of recruitment definitely need to take some accountability over their current situation. Um, but while you've just been speaking, I've I've got a, a list in front of me here of, of an illustrious list of every manager that's ever managed Everton, right? And it's quite interesting talking about, you know, if they were to get rid of Rafa, where would they go, right? So they have had, including caretakers, since Martinez left, if we use that as the last manager that had a decent stint there after Moyes, including caretakers they've had nine managers in five years yeah. it's it's you know david unsworth twice joe royal ronald Coman, sam allardyce marco silver duncan ferguson bless his cotton socks ancelotti and now rafa so you think well if that's the caliber of people they've had in the last five years who do you think they're going to get if they get rid of rafa well based on that if david unsworth and duncan ferguson have a go is daniel amacachi too far away from a <laughs> A six-month contract. Yeah, I mean that's basically the Solskjaer Carrick combo, isn't it? And we know how well that works out. So. <laughs> it, 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 it has been a problem for them, hasn't it? I mean, the stability in the dugout really since since David Moyes, to be honest. But um, mm. Martinez, at yeah, least I was I was being years. kind to Martinez by yeah, not including uh, him in Martinez the. Martinez uh... got three seasons, so yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he had a fair crack at it. I think. I think he was probably slightly harshly fired. I, I thought that at the time, and I. I still think that they were kind of enamoured, weren't they, with Ronald Koeman at the time. And he was, oh, we must go and get Ronald Koeman. And then it was Marco Silva and they were enamoured with Marco Silva. And it was, oh, he's a man, we must go and get him. Uh, to the fact that they tried to get him once and couldn't and then ended up with Sam and then eventually did get him. And uh, yeah, it, it, they, there's been a lot of chopping and changing. And that's part of the reason that the squad is so disjointed. Because each of those managers, like Roberto Martinez doesn't play the same style as David Moyes. He also doesn't play the same style as Ronald Koeman, who doesn't play the same style as Sam Allardyce, who doesn't play the same style as Marco Silva. There's a bit more similarity, I suppose, between Silva and Ancelotti, but not, you know, they're not the same. And that that goes back to the point of like that accountability and the boardroom and recruitment, right? Because the whole point is everyone knows managers get swapped out every season or two. So you keep the consistency there and bring in people that are aligned with that, you know, sort of philosophy and way of doing things. So that it is, which is, I'm sure, exactly what you were going to say, to be fair, but uh, yeah, that's, no, that's, no, that's exactly. the root cause of it, right? I think is what we're getting at. Yeah. I, I want to pick up on something that, that's come up because it's something that we, we were talking about in the uh, the pre-show, if you will, Paul. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that Raf, Rafa's football is about 15 years out of date. Now, I, I've recently got a BritBox subscription. And I have been watching 2.4 Children, which has aged well, and uh, The British Empire, which has not aged well. Um, 
so what is it about about Rafa that you you think is is out of date? For, for me, football now is about being attacking, quick transitions from defence to attack, and pressing, and and Rafa still has that cautious, pragmatic style that he, that he had at Liverpool. And I remember well, you know, like I've I'd watched Everton's one 0 loss at Brentford over the weekend, fifteen or twenty times during during his time at Liverpool. I I'd just seen it over and over again. And, you know, like, I'm I'm just wondering, like tactically, where, where do you think that football has passed Rafa by? I I do think the low block is part of the problem because you look at the top teams and no one's really playing that way. You know, everyone tries to play with a a higher press and get the back four up the pitch. There was a period in in the noughties when kind of the best teams were all playing with a, a low block in terms of the where the uh, where the defensive line started. I suppose you might just call it a, a deep defensive line if you if you're talking in in kind of old money. Low block is one of these phrases that we've now reinvented the wheel with. Um, but but I do think that's part of the problem. Uh, I I think. Rafa's team still start and hold deeper uh, than the top teams. That said, Everton are not a top team, so maybe you shouldn't judge them kind of against that standard. Um, I think he just tends to prefer kind of safe uh, over over risk. And I think even though even you look at the starting position of his wide players and compare them to to where Manchester City's wide players, for example, start. And again, they're not Manchester City. Well, Manchester City get the ball in midfield and their wide players go and play high and wide and stretch the pitch and make, you know, create spaces. And they'll then come in off the flanks and, and join in the play. But when they first get the ball, their their objective is to make the pitch as big as possible. I'm not sure that's really the way Rafa wants his wide players to play. It feels often when you watch Everton like it's a 4-5-1, which it did when he was the manager of Liverpool, right? It, yeah. it felt yeah. like Liverpool played 4-5-1 basically most of his time there. Um, and I know at the time kind of a lot of teams were playing 4-3-3, but I think 4-3-3's moved on since since Rafa was at Liverpool and, and most of the teams were playing it successfully now are, or the 4-2-3-1 are playing their wide players high and in, involved up the pitch and... Yeah, Rafa's just looks, it looks like a 4-5-1 every week and it looks a bit kind of stayed and, and the, the tempo's very slow. It's almost as though he wants that slow, deliberate tempo and it feels a bit out of sorts. I mean, I think the Premier League generally has probably played slower than it was, um, you know, a few years back, but it isn't quite as helter-skelter. But Everton, even in, in that, context looks slow and that the pace of their build-up looks slow it's not that they're they're not whacking it 60 yards back to front they're not trying to do that it's just everything seems very slow very deliberate not much imagination and as a result quite quite kind of easy to play against yeah i i, I wonder if um because there's a, there's a, there's another team that 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 gets leveled against perhaps on on fairly and and it, and it's the england team under southgate and there was an article um, either during or just after the Euros, I don't know if you saw it, I think it might have been Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian, I can't remember now, but he was making the point that that sort of style is more suited to international football and international managers 
because they don't get the time to sort of organize like a high press with the teams and things like that because they don't get the players as much i I just wonder if like the raffers and the Mourinho's of this world just need to sort of migrate into to international football management is that the sort of retirement home for naughty's football tactics and maybe that's just better for everyone and leave the club football to the you know the fresher thinkers um who are playing the more sort of you know modern um styles as you know as you've both said interesting um thanks for that yeah um just a little side topic that came up um one thing that i want to 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 look at with you both is is it just me or are, are there an increased number of footballers like suffering with cardiac issues i mean it's something that's always gone on but it used to be like really big news and it seems like it seems as though we're having someone having issues once once a week at the moment, and that's not including the fans because in a crowd of let's just take the, the the crowd at Watford in the crowd of like twenty odd thousand, you're going to get a number of people who've got like a heart problem, and it, it's not a big surprise really when you're in a stadium of like fifty thousand like at Newcastle a few weeks ago for someone to, to to fall obviously to that extent it's not what you expect but in, in a stadium of that size of that many people inevitably you're going to have people in that ground who've got heart problems but footballers not not so much i'm just wondering if you've you've got any kind of thoughts on it yeah it, it definitely feels as though it's becoming more frequent doesn't it dan and there was the there was the wigan player last week who i think collapsed in in training charlie wyke um there was the incident in a game wasn't there at sheffield united was it was it john fleck i think um uh there was a situation in in europe at adama Traore for uh sheriff um so there were there were three or four within the space of a week last week which is is obviously um striking and and, and pretty frightening um I think there's two things I'd say. One is the numbers are up pretty significantly in the last 12 months. Now, any number of theories about why that may be, uh, you know, is it COVID related? Is it COVID vaccination related? What's kind of caused this this sudden spike? Um, And I think that's definitely worth looking at. But I think we need to look at the longer term trend as well, because this has been trending upwards for about 20 years. Um, if you look at, you know, when Mark Vivian Foe uh, died 20 or so years ago, it was an absolute shock to everybody because it, it, it was something they'd almost never seen and never heard of. Um, and actually, nowadays, you're seeing it more often. In fact, I, I ended up watching for my sins uh, an episode of uh, the, what's it called, in the, in the castle in Wales. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I'm a celebrity. Um, my bill, my bills need paying. Get me out. Yeah, here. exactly. And 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 David Ginnell is in there, and and obviously it happened to him. Now I know he's a little bit older, but it happened to him a few years ago playing in a charity game. Um, so th- there's definitely something going on, and I don't know if it's, um, you know, the level to which these athletes' bodies are kind of stressed now by the kind of fine tuning. We all recognise, right, that, that footballers are inverted commas, fitter, i.e. revved up to their max compared to what they were 20 years ago, or particularly before that, you know, look at footballers in the 80s, they were, they were normal blokes who went out on a Saturday and kicked a ball about in terms of, you know, they were fit compared to the average member of the population, but they weren't 
athletic machines. Whereas you look at footballers now, and certainly at the top level, they are pure athletes. Um, and and I think that that's potentially part of a, a solution or of an explanation. Sorry, um, just the level of athletic uh, fine tuning that, that's in these players. Um, makes them more susceptible to, to things going wrong. It, it happens in horses, right? But race horses, extremely finely tuned athletes, but they're more delicate than your average horse that wanders around the field all day um, as a result because the, the body's putting more pressure on their organs. So, so I think there's potential for that to be a factor. I think there's potentially something about the, uh, the vitamins and the supplements and the things that players take now on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis uh, to kind of aid recovery and strengthen muscles and deal with, you know, playing through the pain barrier and all those things. I think I think that's an area that's that's worth considering. I think it is worth looking at whether this spike in the last 12 months has related either to uh, asymptomatic COVID or indeed whether it's linked to COVID vaccination. Now, we know, I think Charlie White, it's been confirmed he wasn't vaccinated we obviously know Christian Eriksen in the summer, despite the rumours to the contrary, wasn't vaccinated. So uh, while I think, again, we should definitely be looking at all of these avenues as potential spikes, I'm, I'm nervous about kind of people fixating on it's a vaccination issue or, in fact, even it's a COVID issue and it's caused by people with asymptomatic COVID not knowing they've got it and playing um, or not knowing they've had it and it's had an effect on their body. Uh, I think we need to both look at the sort of immediate spike problem that we have, but also look at the trend over the last 20 years and say, okay, there's something going on here that, that that's a bit deeper that we really need to understand. Um, because, yeah, the last week's been pretty shocking from that regard. And, and obviously you mentioned the fan incidents as well, Dan, which when you put those on top, um, it, it hasn't been a particularly uh, cheery week, has it, for, for football in that regard? So let's hope we kind of get a bit of a, a break now and it, and it we don't kind of keep seeing these incidents. But I think football should be looking, particularly on the playing side, as you say, about what are the causes of this. So so, so on that, though, though Paul, do, you know, with the, the money in the game, I mean, theoretically, setting up a... a, a team of people or whatever to to properly investigate this should be quite feasible i mean is is that going to happen and who will take responsibility in the game to lead on that you know can we rely on our our good friends at at fifa and uefa or you know the governing bodies to to sort of take this seriously and actually start a proper investigation to try and join some of the dots if they are joinable um Mm. I, I don't know. It's it's a good question, Con. I think it might have to come from the scientific community, kind of not forcing it on football uh, uh, so much, but but taking it on their own back to kind of kick things off. Yeah, I, I worry that if we leave it to football, um, you know, <laughs> the record of kind of resolving these issues. <laughs> You know, yeah. we, he needs, he needs an Alan Shearer documentary about it, doesn't Yeah, it? <laughs> well, uh, quite. We've talked on this on this <laughs> podcast, haven't we? I, I was going to make the link between the kind of heading situation. Mm. And it feels like that's something that, you know, how long ago is it Jeff Astle died? 20, 25 years, maybe? Something like that since Jeff Astle died. We were aware that there was a potential issue of, you know, uh, head injury dementia related to 
heading of a football that long ago. And it's only really in the last two years that anyone started to take it seriously and that, and that we've started to really kind of focus on what solutions there might be out there. Uh, I fear if we leave it to football to kind of come up with the answers itself, it'll be 20 years before they take this seriously as well. Um, and I think the science community may well need to step in and the research community and say, look, guys, let us help you. I'm, I'm sure football isn't close to it. I, I don't suggest that football's trying to avoid it or trying to pretend it's not a problem. I just don't think it's very good when these things come up about kind of coming together as a sport and finding a a solution. Um, I think it might need to be prompted from the outside. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Coming soon, the um, Medical Super League, brought to you by FIFA and UEFA. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, let's see how many people resign when that gets set up. <laughs> yeah, within within 48 hours. Um, well, I'm just go, going back, that's kind of a, a non-football issue, really, but going back to, to football, I think all three of us predicted that the top three would be Chelsea, Manchester City and Liverpool in an order. I didn't. Um, I, I had Man United in there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. You did. Um, <laughs> that's be, how be, we get you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyways, putting pre-season predictions aside. Yeah. I'd like I'd like to put that one somewhere somewhere further than the side, Dan, to be honest. <laughs> I think the um I, I'm not surprised that the three are the three. Let's put it no, that way. No, and, and what I was gonna say was in the last few weeks it, it feels as though the the big three are about to really break away from everyone else. The gap seven points. Uh, West Ham have have dropped a couple of points recently and you know that's not a criticism of West Ham. They are doing phenomenally well to be in the top four and they were third before the international break. But we're getting to the time of the season where games come thick and fast. Teams with momentum generally keep that momentum and go on good runs. Uh, are we going to have a, a huge gap between third and fourth this year? Do, do we think? I, I think this. I think it's a possibility that we might have a, a 10, 15 point gap at the current rate, unless United go on a run or Arsenal continue their relatively decent form. Yeah, I mean, I think just on that, I think if you look at the sort of the clubs with the squad and resources who could theoretically claw that back. Um, obviously, we'll wait and see how the the United era kicks off uh, with its its soft launch tonight with a uh, new manager in place, but not in the dugout, I think, to set up. But it's, it's basically, you know, probably those two teams playing, right? It's United and Arsenal um, and, and maybe see if, if, you know, if West Ham, perhaps them going out of Europe might be the best thing for them um, to try and keep up there. But you'd, you'd imagine that, you know, you don't see, you know, Leicester aren't the side they've been for, for the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, Brighton, are, again, punching above the weight. I mean, Wolves are still up there in six after a couple of dodgy seasons. So, but again, you don't imagine that they'll be really troubling for the fourth spot. So you'd imagine it's, you know, United, Arsenal and possibly West Ham to, to push for it. Um, you and know. possibly Tottenham. I, I still think, while I think there are all problems at Tottenham, I think Conte's a good manager. And if he yeah. can find a way of keeping the door shut and get Kane firing, Tottenham are still... Not yeah, to speak. but I, I guess that's it, it. Is that for them to to squeak a lower point finish fourth though, or 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 to actually claw it oh, back yeah. to trouble the? Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I I, I don't think anyone's going to claw a gap back. Um, 
Yeah. So, well, well, what I was trying to to say before is that, may you know, if anyone could to get it to the get it to that point, potentially would be United or Arsenal. But equally, I don't think they're they're sort of on a par with. Uh, would require quite a transformation or or a serious dip, maybe in one of the three. If they sort of tailed off a bit and it became a two horse, that you know could feasibly happen in sort of Jan or Feb. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think probably if we looked at it similar time last year, and I know the season was slightly out of sync because we started later, but we'd have all said Liverpool are, are an absolute shoe in to be in the top two, right? And then they wobbled over Christmas and just kept wobbling. Now, I know that the context to that was a pretty horrific injury crisis, particularly at the back, and they, I think we're down to about the seventh and eighth choice centre-half at one point. So uh, it, it would take that kind of thing, I think, for one of the top three to to fall away drastically. Um, and I, I'm not sure I see that happening. Uh, so in, in answer to is anyone going to bridge the gap and catch the top three? No. I think unless Arsenal win tonight, it already looks like the top three are over the hill and far away. If Arsenal were to win tonight, that would keep the gap to Liverpool to five points, and that's kind of just about foreseeable. But I don't think Arsenal will win tonight, and I don't think they'll they'll, they'll be able to, even if they do, they won't be able to keep that pace um, mm. over the course of the season. Uh, I, I think the top three are going to, going to break clear. I think Manchester United are still the fourth best in terms of the squad and the strength and depth that they have. Um, I know they're playing really, really poorly. I know there's problems there, and obviously that's why there's been a managerial change. They would still be my tip at this point to to end up in that fourth spot. But I do think, I do think, given that they've you know allowed West Ham to get away a little bit, there's a six point gap between United and West Ham. I know again United play tonight. Um, I think the likes of West Ham and Arsenal and Tottenham. Are, are probably going to be in and around the sort of shouting for that fourth, fifth spot. Uh, but I would expect United, if they can get a good run going under their new manager, to, to come through. And we did we did talk when United started this run of games about the fact that it was a really difficult run of games. And we all you know, said that in advance, really. Um, the one that was supposed to be the easy one in the middle was Watford away, which, which didn't quite work out. Um, United do have a, once they get through this this Arsenal game, it does sort of ease off a little bit for them. Um, you know, they've played Liverpool, City, Chelsea in the last four or five games. Um, they play Arsenal tonight. It does start to ease off a little bit after that. Uh, and they have an opportunity to put a good run together in Ragnick's first kind of half dozen games after, you know, in the run two and just after Christmas. And I think probably by end of January, United will be fourth. But I, I, you know, to answer Dan's point, no, no one's going to get near the top three. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, you're right. He's he's kind of come in at a very, you know, kind time in terms of fixtures. I mean, the the sort of best team that we play after tonight, really, just looking ahead, it's 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 West Ham at the end of Jan um, yeah. in the league. You know, so um, he's got a, about eight games there. Um, in which, in which to try and get us, you know, and I guess that's the test really, you know, coming in. It's like, can you get us back as, you know, at least top four contention, but but also maybe in, in that spot by, by the end of Jan is almost the, the short-term challenge. But yeah, let's see how he gets on. Um, well, the, well I, th- I think, again, the, the sort of, again, the flip side of where he is, and I think the good run even extends probably till the end of February in terms of fixtures. But then that period they've just had once, 
well, that period's coming again in March and April. Yeah, it does. Um, and so, you know, I think they play City and Spurs and Liverpool in consecutive weeks. Uh, they're at Arsenal, I think, right at the end of April. So the, this run of fixtures that they've just had will come again. The question really is, can they make hay while the, the kind of sun shines in, in December, January, February, when they have a run of 10 or 12 fixtures where you should be looking at Manchester United getting eight nine wins minimum yeah yeah um on on the the top three we've obviously mentioned around like the 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 sort of cup of nations kicking off and how liverpool might be more vulnerable in terms of the players they'll lose like do do we and i'm not trying to sort of troll dan or or any liverpool fans listening i promise but as, as a sort of serious point like do we think that will have a you know what level of impact do you think that will have and could that give you know you know, potentially Chelsea and City an opportunity to, to pull away further. And like I said, I don't think anyone will necessarily catch Liverpool in third, but do, do you think there's a chance that that could be enough to spark a two-horse race? Or, you know, Liverpool have obviously been like an absolute, um, you know, steam train so far uh, this season, certainly going forward. But, you know, do you think that could sort of halt them a little bit and, and be disruptive? I think we're better placed for the African Cup of Nations than we were the last time it happened when um, Mane and Salah, so it was just it was just Mane actually when Mane went went off. Um, it, it, like, the thing, I was talking about this just just last night actually. Um, and, like Keita is is neither here nor there to me. He doesn't count because he's so unreliable and injury prone. Just do just disregard him. Um, Salah and Mane, we could replace them. We've like we've got the the forwards without the the, the main two Mane and Salah, Firmino, Yota, the slaughter, Origi, and Minimino. That's not bad. I'm not saying it's great because it's not, and I still think we're a forward short. But um, we didn't let anyone go, so we didn't bring anyone in. I think that's okay, and I think if you look at the fixture list in January, obviously there's a an FA Cup third round tie that will need to be played there. Knowing how look that will be, Man City away. Well, no, City don't get don't get hard draws. It will be Chelsea <laughs> away, Arsenal away, Manchester United away instead of Rushton and Diamonds at home. You know that that that'll just be how it goes. But if you draw Rushton and Diamonds, Dan, you've done really well because they've gone out of business. Does 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 a Phoenix club is there not? Oh, is there? Is there yeah. a Phoenix club? Okay, yeah, I, fair enough. And, and I don't mean the pull off into paradise kind of Phoenix. Can I say is it played <laughs> at the Pennine Suite? Yeah. Hey, Jamie, we've been knocked out, Jamie. <laughs> there is um, AFC, uh, AFC Rushton and Diamonds. You're right, Dan. There is well, a, a Phoenix club. Well, I've I've exclusively revealed Manchester City's opponents for the next round of the FA Cup. <laughs> um, it, you know, like, it feels like you probably need like Jota is the obvious one, right? Who who can create a bit of magic, and I think if he's in good form, it feels like if his, I mean, he's in good form at the moment, right? I think he scored five in a row or something. So it's like if he can be in good form when you lose your main goal threats of obviously Salah and and you know also Mane, he's probably the one you look to um, to carry the mantle and step up. Uh, but obviously he has his own injury problems from time to time as well, doesn't he? So you need him fit and firing, I would thought, to to try and just sort of paper over that period um, over yeah. the, the few weeks that they'll be uh, they'll be away. And and th- and this is it. It's not like the the fixture list is not the unkindest it could have been in January, and there aren't that many games. Yeah. So 
I mean, and I'll be completely honest with you, Khan, and and I, I'm I'm not 100% convinced that tournament's going to go ahead. Well, there is that, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was what I was going to say, Dan. I, I was actually speaking to somebody the other day who's planning to go out to Cameroon for it. Um, now, I think his plans are definitely going to fall through. But uh, regardless of that, I, I think there is a question about will it go ahead? Um, it's not an absolute given, I think, given... The, the situation with COVID in Africa and the, the South African variant. Is it Omicron? I can never say. I, th- I think it's I think it's pronounced Omicron, yes. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think there is a question, A, does the tournament go ahead? B, there's then a question, do all the star players go if it's taking place at a time when there's, you know, a spread of the, of the virus in Africa? Do some players just say, I'm not going? Um, it, it's difficult to know. Uh, the, I, I've seen even today that clubs have said they want to talk to FIFA about the risks of, of sending players out to Africa when the, the virus is kind of running wild. Um, again, again, uh, you know, I, I think there is... I suspect it will go ahead because I think they will probably say, well, we'd lose too much not hosting it. But whether um, whether all the star players go and play, I think open for a, a bit more debate and we'll have to wait and see. Um, if players go to that, yes, it does affect Liverpool more than the other two. There's, there's no question about that. I think um, they're the club that would be kind of most obviously affected because uh, it, it's not as if uh, Mo Salah and, and Sadio Mane are just two of Liverpool's players, right? They're, they're probably their best players or well, certainly those two and, and Van Dyke. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it, it, it's a question. It will affect them worse. I think Chelsea lose two, don't they? They, they lose a goalkeeper and they lose Zayic. Um, I'm not sure if Man City lose anybody, do they? Man City uh, got anybody going to it? Only Mahrez. Mahrez. Yeah, good point. Um, it's a good one, Colin. But uh, again, with, with Pep's rotation, you know, he gets 40 minutes every seven games, so... Yeah. Although, although Pep was crying, wasn't he, yesterday? He's only got 13 players. He's down to the bare bones. He's <laughs> <laughs> been on the phone to Harry. He's like, how did you used to deal with it? <laughs> Through a car yeah. window. You know. I wonder if I wonder if Peter Eldenwingy will turn up on the deadline <laughs> day in January and just wait outside. Worth a try. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think Liverpool are the most affected. I have to say... I, I don't think Liverpool are going to win the league anyway, personally. So I, I don't think it's going to change the outcome of the title race. Um, but it might be that period when, if they just drop one or two results, when you see Liverpool almost end up in splendid isolation in third, where they're, they're 10 points clear of fourth and, and seven or eight points behind second. I, I could see that sort of situation kind of, manifesting itself in that sort of January period. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but yeah, I I think it is the most difficult for Liverpool to manage it just because they're two of their best players. I, I, I agree. I, I I don't think we'll win the league. I, I have a sneaky feeling that we're going to go very, very close to the European Cup though. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that might be the thing, right? If Liverpool are, are in splendid isolation in third, it might free Liverpool up to go, right, let's have a, you know, we've got our players back by the time the Champions League kicks back in. Let's have a right good go at that um, and almost let Chelsea and Manchester City punch one another out in the Premier League and, and mm. sneak up and win a Champions League. I, I, I think that that's a very sort of 
I wish um, I hadn't raised this subject now. Scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Colin, you've managed to get Liverpool out of the title race, unfortunately for you. Yeah, I've won them the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> As as long as we don't get, have a, a nightmare situation where Adrian starts any games, yeah, and uh, yeah, that would be. Uh, I mean, it'd be fun for the rest of us. I mean, he's the yeah. Can't you bring that lad from the final the, a couple of years ago back? Is he is he still playing in Turkey? He was good fun. Um, <laughs> I, I think we fi- did. We finally get rid of him now, or is he still knocking around? Like, I think I think he might still be knocking around. Um, I think there's there's always some calls yeah. to put out some according some. According to Wikipedia, he is a goalkeeper who plays for Liverpool. Yes. Um, well, he's, there's always cones to put out, um, balls to put in bags, um, dish, <laughs> dishes to do at the... Yeah, I was going to say, gravy needs stirring at the training ground or whatever, yeah. It, 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 <laughs> Although I'm not sure shame, players are really, allowed to have gravy anymore, probably. But. Be, be, like in, in that like six months when he displaced Mignolet, you know, he, he was always mista- like prone to making a mistake, but... He, he actually played quite well, and then that, that final completely ruined him. I mean, he was assaulted by Sergio Ramos. It was quite simple. He was, he was absolutely wiped out. But, um, yeah, just no, 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 thank you. We're, we're not a million miles off Brad Jones, to be honest. He, um, I, I, he is still Liverpool. And as, as far as I can tell, he's not on loan anywhere this year. He was I, I, on loan last season. I was thinking to myself that we'd managed to get rid of him, and then I remembered that that was on my football manager game. <laughs> apparently, Where dreams I, I can come true. Yeah, yeah, quite. I didn't know this, but apparently he um, he played for Man City as a as a youth. He did, yes, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Um, and Man City obviously sold to him a long <laughs> a long time before we did not want not one of um of of, of Jurgen's better signings, but as I say. There is, or there was, I don't think there is anymore. There was something there to work with. Um, I, I think it's one of those things. I, I think in modern football, it is extremely difficult to find a hidden gem in goal. Yes. I, th- I think it's it's one of those positions. It's a bit like centre-forward. You, you can still find him occasionally at centre-half, and you can still find him occasionally in midfield. Someone you go, God, where did he come from? He's under the radar. I think centre-forward and goalkeeper are the two positions where you kind of get what you pay for. Yes, Alisson, Mondi, if if that's how you pronounce it. I might be going a bit over the top of my pronunciation. I thought it was Uh, excellent, Dan. Oh, thank you very very much. (laughs) Um, But then to, to temper that, Kepper is more expensive than Alisson's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chelsea didn't get what they paid for with Kepper. <laughs> no, I mean, like people were criticising Arsenal for spending that money on Ramsdale. I, I think he still makes a few errors, but he's quite young. He's English. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, Arsenal have paid a decent price for a, 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 someone who will become a better goalkeeper than he is. It, well, it's so far so good, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's still very early days in his Arsenal career, but he's he's definitely started well. And I and I do think again, it, it just goes back to that point. It, you can't you can't scrimp on goalkeeper. It, it you know to get a goalkeeper who's played and got experience and has got talent, you get, you're talking twenty five million. As that's like the absolute bottom price. Um, and what did Liverpool pay for Carrius? four or five or something like that it, it was along know, those lines yeah. it, it was it was a punt and you just I think it's very difficult these days to think of any of those punts on goalkeepers that have that have really paid off in a big way for, for clubs um, you know 
I mean, it, it wasn't always this way, but then Massimo Taibi, you know, he was about four million, wasn't he? Well, if, if you remember, uh, the, the, the big to- topic at the end of the last millennium was who would replace Peter Schmeichel, and it was Mark Bosnich and the Bosman, and he was a disaster, it, and, and there was no reason for him to be a disaster. He was actually... No. A- pretty good goalkeeper but he wasn't in, for Manchester United in the end to solve the problem United went and spent 15 million on Bartes which at the time was, was top money for a goalkeeper now Huge I know in, money, the, yeah. in the end he lost his head didn't he but he had a couple yeah. of seasons before he did so and, uh, and then they tried Tim Howard and again he was at the sort of bargain end and that worked for about a year and then fell to pieces Van der Sar I suppose was a bargain but he was a bargain because he was about 47 when they bought him Yes, he, he was, and he played until he was about 70. <laughs> uh, that's where it felt like anywhere. Van, Van der Sar was brilliant. I mean, he might be that, that one example of a bargain that did work out. I think he was absolutely brilliant for us in that, in well, that era. Well, I think I think similar, like, I think Jens Lehmann for Arsenal paid one and a quarter million for Jens Lehmann, and he put, he was in the Invincible team. Mm. He, he, he had that fantastic run in the Champions League. I know he got sent off in the final, but the year we got to the Champions League finally was brilliant for us. But again, that's that signing a guy who you're signing really is a short-term measure. I think Van der Sar probably played longer than United thought he would when they signed him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and probably longer than Fulham thought he would when they sold him. Uh, but it, in terms of going and getting a kind of young goalkeeper who's going to be there for 10 years, he, he, United had to go and pay the money for De Gea, didn't they? Yeah. He was, he yeah, was yeah, a bargain yeah. at the point they signed him. Um, Chelsea have been there a few times in recent years and, and, and had to go and, and spend spend cash. Arsenal have had two goes now with, with Leno and then and then Ramsdale. You, you kind of, finding a bargain at that position just seems to be almost impossible in the modern market. Yeah, I must say, Loris Carius was not on my agenda for this podcast this evening. <laughs> Brad Jones, even less. Um, I mean, I mean, there's been some some characters in goal. I mean, I, I used to really like uh, Gabor Kirali, you know, the the guy with his his tracksuit bottoms. Yeah, Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like Palace's goalkeeper now. Actually, is it, is it Guaita? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think he's quite good. But you 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 right. You don't get um, really. You, you don't get bargains with goalkeepers anymore. Um, you have to pay up the big money for for the big goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, Brad Jones, cool, blimey, diving out of um, the way of Dimitar Berbatov's hat trick of Old Trafford once. Dove out of the way of every single goal. Um, I remember I, another Liverpool goalkeeper doing that once for a hat trick by Andy Cole, and it turned out there was a reason why a few years later. Yes, would would it be um, lots of double-barreled letters in that name? Would the... <laughs> it would be old Brucey, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and, and one one thing I wanted to make, one, one quip I wanted to mention. Um, I'm, I'm Edwin Van der Sar has been supposed to be signing for Man United for the last five years as sporting director or similar job title. Yeah, and then he and then he'd been linked with Newcastle, hasn't he? I mean, again, everyone's been linked with a job at Newcastle at the moment. Uh, I think it must be my turn next week. I don't know what they're going to give me. Uh, <laughs> you know, person in charge of boot shining or something. But every everyone's been linked with Newcastle at the moment, including including Van der Sar. And I think it's uh, yeah, it's because he's at Ajax, isn't he, Van der Sar? He's at Ajax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's on the board at Ajax, isn't he? I don't know what his exact title is. Um, but he's he's definitely in a sort of yeah. executive goal, position. Goal, goalkeeper board. clapper in the stands. 
It's probably the <laughs> official, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't think Jose's pulling up any trees in in um, in Rome, and there's money involved, big money potentially at, New, at Newcastle. Don't be surprised if he rocks up quite soon. Um, like I say, in, international football, mate. That's where they need to get. He hasn't. He hasn't taken on the Portugal job yet, has he? No. No, so that's surely got to be the the next one when he inevitably doesn't last the season at Roma or whatever. Uh, I, um, I I don't I don't think he is interested in that camp. No, maybe they don't pay enough. Although it depends if they actually get to the next tournament as well, because they've got that. We, we didn't cover. Maybe we cover it another time. But obviously, some of those playoffs uh, are a bit bit tasty, aren't they? Um, for the uh, yeah, well, well, isn't it? Isn't it if they win their semi-finals, Netherlands and Portugal as a final? Um, it, it just this is just playoffs, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, but the playoffs are, they, they, they've been drawn in in stages, so that you play a semi-final and then you already know which other semi-final you're paired with if you win your semi-final. I see. And I think yeah. Portugal and Netherlands are in the same block, so if they both win their semi-final, they would play off in the final for one place at the, at the tournament. And I think it's the same with Scotland and Wales, right? That they're They've they've been kept apart at the semi final stage, but if they both won their semi final, it will be Scotland versus Wales for one place at the at the World yeah. Cup. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, because I'm spiteful and petty. Um, I just hope that Portugal don't get through. Well, um, I'd but... rather them at the expense of Italy though, because <laughs> Portugal aren't going to win the World Cup. But if Italy get oh, yeah, there, sorry, they might. <laughs> Portugal and Italy. I kept saying Netherlands. You're right, Con. Sorry, Portugal and Italy. I said Netherlands about three times. <laughs> Portugal. And Italy, yeah, 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 yeah. They are not the Netherlands. They're not the Netherlands, no. Because um, I think I think it's Portugal, Turkey in the semi-final, and I can't remember who Italy have got. And then, yeah, um, but yeah, I think, be, uh, like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't Portugal. particularly want Portugal to, to win for the same reasons Dan's mentioned. But strategically, of the two, they're the ones because they'll get there and crumble um, when they realise <laughs> they haven't got any good players anymore. And Ronaldo's fifty-seven, um, who'll still score four penalties for them or whatever. But, um, you know, it's, it's, if, if Italy get there, that you know, they're obviously going to be one of the favourites. Yeah. Regardless of the, the fact they might have struggled in qualification or whatever, they're, they're a tournament side. Um, they've obviously proved that this year. Um, anyway, I think there is a bit of football coming up soon, lads, so I don't know if we want yes. to, uh, yeah, we want to uh, wrap off. F- f- football league fans, we love you too. But, um, yeah, we, we've... This is your fault, Carl, for bringing up Loris Carriage. <laughs> no, I've just no won you the Champions come... League, Dan, and this is the thanks I get. <laughs> no, no good can come of bringing up Loris Carriage. It's just—it's like saying Candyman into a mirror three times. You, 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 don't, you don't do that. Not that I've ever watched it. It's just a—I I like to sound clever with pop culture references. So, um... Of all the rabbit holes we've ever gone down on this podcast, this is definitely the strangest. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Um, no good can come of it. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll call it the um, the right honourable gentleman wish to go and watch the uh, the latest big football podcast derby. Uh, Tottenham and beating Brentford 1-0. Um, looking pretty good with it as well, to be fair. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. Um, you can catch us on Spotify, uh, Podbean, iTunes, um, Amazon Music and Google Play. Uh, I'm not going to say when we're going to be back because we just don't know because we're just winging it at the moment. Um, life is getting in the way. Um, kidney stones. And I'm in my house next week. So 
well, th- th- there we go. Um, <laughs> I-, I wish you all the luck in the world with that, Paul. Um, but uh, we-, we will be back. We just don't know when, basically. Um, so I wish you good luck with your move, Paul. Um, and for everyone who's listening, thanks for checking us out. Please spread the word with your friends. We have a good laugh on here. Um, and we've actually gone through a, a week without mentioning Mark Hughes. Oh, dear. Never mind. <laughs> have, a, have a good one, gents, and we'll, we'll catch you all again after a while. <laughs>